0: I like just for a moment, we were at the Mount of Transfiguration. Just gazing on the glory of Christ, and having an opportunity to adore Him. He is truly a magnificent Savior. How privileged we are, how awesome it is to be able to stare into the face of our Savior. There's only one thing better than this gathering this morning, and that is when our Savior will come for us and we will see him face to face. Last Sunday, I had an opportunity more to just sit in the service, which I rarely get to do. And one of the songs that we sung, and I forget which one it was, but it just talked about and we will see his face. I have sung that song many times. And I've, I've, we've, we've done that song many times. But for some reason, it hit me fresh. And I was just sort of captivated in a moment that seemed like a long, long moment. Of just thinking about seeing the face of Christ. You know, we've seen... We've probably all been at an event of some sort where someone we thought was famous, and we went to see them or something, and we got to see see them for the first time in person. It was like, wow, they really exist. Look at them, look who they are. And and, and can you imagine what it's gonna be like? Can you imagine what it is gonna be like for us to see Jesus Christ face to face? I, I can't even imagine. I don't know what it will be like. It will be stunning. Well, that's not our sermon this morning, but that's what hit me this morning, Christ. I wanna thank you for your engagement in this weekend so much, talking to our, my pastoral teammates, and on, on behalf of all of us, we, we are so gratified by your partnership with us, helping us. We know you do it because you love the Lord. There's so many moving parts on a weekend like this, and I I won't begin to start to name all the different departments and and how you are working so hard and helping, but just know this, that you are not overlooked. You You are in our hearts and in our prayers, And we are so thankful for our discipleship partnership here with you, disciples in Christ together, accomplishing the great work of the gospel. And for all of you are working so diligently and so urgently to get friends and family who you love to come to these presentations. Thank you for your work at that. Thank you for the effort that you put in giving up your weekend to do that. You know, we, we, I know we have such a burden for our, our family members who are lost and friends who, who, who don't know the Lord. We've been so privileged. We who know the Lord, we know the privilege and the grace that Christ has demonstrated toward us. And we so want it for others who don't have Him. And so we so want them to have an opportunity to hear. And so thank you for all the work that you put in to make that happen. And they each presentation has been filled to the maximum people are coming people are hungry people don't know what they're looking for pray 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 that God will save people because the days are increasingly spiraling into darkness and we have this free opportunity to continue to share the gospel so take every opportunity that we have. So thank you again for everything that you are doing. Let's pray. Lord, I, we are overcome by your presence today among us. How great is your glory. How great and marvelous is your grace to us that we get to call you our Savior and our Lord, that you have brought us into your kingdom. You've drawn us close to you as your children, and you love us with everlasting love. Your favor, Lord, has rested upon us, and oh, how our hearts are burdened for people we love who don't know you, And who appear to not want to know you. Oh Lord, only you can take a stony heart and make it soft. Like you did for us. We all once had hard hearts. But you softened our hearts to you, Lord. If you hadn't have, we would never have come to you. And so we know that the same salvation that came to us, to our hard hearts, can come to the hard-hearted friends and and neighbors and loved ones that we have, they can come to you as well. You can soften their hearts. You are a saving God. And you have not yet completed your church, otherwise you would have come for us already. So we know that there are people yet to be saved. In this city, on this weekend, there are people yet to be saved, Lord. And so we look forward to what you are doing and going to do. Give strength to everyone who is committed and passionate about this outreach weekend, Lord. Give us strength. Give us your strength that we may give the best of ourselves to you. Now, Lord, you have something important to say to us about stewardship. In light of the Lord God who gave to us, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You are a giving God, and you invite us to be giving people. I pray that we would not look away from this aspect of discipleship. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to begin this morning by asking a series of rapid questions. So if you're trying to jot them down, it's not going to be possible, but you can pick up these notes if you want at the office. I'm not looking for public answers. You may not want to give them to me. Do you believe that God directly blesses people according to their generosity in giving? Is there a biblical connection between offering and blessing? Does God need your money? Are your offerings worthy of God's blessing? Do you invest more for the final 20 years of your life than for all eternity? Have you been? Are offerings that should go to God going to other gods or other things? Do you have a determined plan of giving? Is it your first priority of the week? Do you believe your money is invested in what you treasure most? According to your spending, outside of necessary living expenses, what do you treasure most? According to your spending. Do you believe that investing in eternity is the wisest investment of all? Does your investing reflect your belief about that? Are you struggling financially? Are you giving generously? Do you see any connection between the two? Do you trust God? Do you believe your offerings reflect that or deny it? Or are you not sure? Well, those are just a few of the questions that crossed my mind when I realized that my assignment for the last of our Discipleship Essentials series is entitled, mm-hmm. Money. What I found rather um, Interesting because I hadn't noticed it until I got to the very end of the book. Is it calls this section bonus? There's 24 lessons, there's actually 25, a 25th, and it says bonus. The bonus lesson I'm bringing to you this morning. The bonus lesson you should be very excited about that. This is not what everybody gets, most people don't get the bonus lesson. They have the discipleship essentials course and they stop. And they don't do the bonus section. But you people are in for something very special. I am bringing to you the bonus section this morning. So would you open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 6. You're going to need to be there. But let me just make a few introductory comments Um, In in terms of bonus section, it would seem to me that somehow the author... I I don't want to misinterpret, and I'm just speculating, but but to to suggest that this is a bonus is somehow to suggest that this isn't really necessarily core discipleship. This is sort of an add-on that that, uh, if you have some time, maybe you might want to consider this. I find that odious, to be honest... I don't think this should be bonus at all. In fact, I think this probably should have been the first lesson on discipleship essentials, personally. Because stewardship, from what I understand in the scriptures, is core discipleship. Core discipleship. Consider this. 16 of 38 parables are about money or possessions. 16 of 38 One in ten of every verse in the New Testament is about money or possessions. It's 288 to be exact. Considering the whole Bible, there are approximately 500 verses that are devoted to prayer. There are approximately 500 verses that are devoted to faith. And there are approximately 2,000 verses... That are devoted to possessions and money. So you tell, you tell me, what do you think is core discipleship in the scriptures? I think it's the most important. I think it's the most important of all. And it seems for those who will dare to pe- to teach and preach this, it is a bonus. You see, um, there's a lot of retreating in churches from this subject hiding this from people. I think we should be unapologetic about stewardship, unapologetic about things. Why shouldn't God be concerned about this? We are all caretakers of His property. I think, in fact, in terms of discipleship, our stewardship is the most important test of all. Consider how we have defined a disciple from the scriptures throughout this whole series. Whoever wants to be my disciple must... Sorry. Deny himself. The ladies are saying, that's just about guys. Deny oneself. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves... For most people in the West, resolving the money issue, as Lauren Jackson puts it, is about dismantling the final wall in the kingdom of self. Let me say that to you again. For most people in the West, resolving the money issue is about dismantling the final wall in the kingdom of self. Now, if we're connecting those two thoughts, that discipleship is about denying ourselves and resolving the money issue is, in fact, dismantling the final wall of the kingdom of self, you can see that in terms of discipleship, the issues of money and stewardship are core teachings. Core teachings. Now, this whole section that we're going to look at this morning in Matthew chapter 6 is um, somewhat summarized for us. In um, verse five or, or chapter five and verse forty-eight, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And and uh, Jesus, of course, this is part of the Sermon on, on the Mount. Jesus is now going to go on throughout this whole section and explain what he means by be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. This will be explained to us. Each of the following sections build the case for what it means to be perfect. Now, by the way, perfect is to be complete, to be mature, to not lack anything. So when we're talking about moving toward perfection, we're talking about spiritual maturity as the the Father Builds that into our lives. Positionally, now you all know, I've taught you this before, you know this. Positionally, we are already perfect in Christ. Because Christ is perfect. That's why Christ can say in the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. Because I'm going to continue to work on your life and mature you. But positionally, you already are perfect in Christ. Now be what you are. Live who you are. Live out in the stewardship of your life what you already are in Christ. That's what this is talking about. So this whole section is, is unpackaging for us what that looks like in practical living. Be perfect. Now you also remember that there was a time when Jesus had an encounter with a rich young ruler. In fact, it's, uh, the account is... is um, is uh, recorded in all of the synoptic Gospels. Mark, Matthew, and Luke. All of them carry this particular story. And you know that the summarizing the story, that you can find in Ma- Matthew 19, you find it in Mark 10, you, in Luke 18, you know that the, the uh, rich young man came and he asked Jesus one question. First of all, he gave him a resume of how good he was. I've done this, I've done that, I've kept this, I've kept that. You meet people like that you know when I, I i frankly whenever i tell people i'm a pastor the first thing they start to do is tell me how good they are well you know what i do i here's what i do at my church i'm i'm this i'm that listen it's the same thing the, the rich young guy comes to jesus and says how good he is and then he looks jesus in the eye and says what do i still lack expecting jesus to say Nothing, absolutely nothing. You are so awesome. You are so wonderful. In fact, let me bow down and worship you. You are so great. But no, Jesus says to him, there is one thing you lack. One thing you lack. And then he sa- Jesus says this in Matthew nineteen twenty one: If you want to be perfect, and it appears you do, Go sell your possessions and give. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. See the link between the Sermon on the Mount with be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect? And he goes to the rich young man and says, If you want to do what I have taught, if you want to be what I have taught, go. Sell your possessions, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. So let me ask you a question this morning. That's the rich young man. What is it that you still lack as a disciple? What is it that you still lack as a disciple? There's a very good possibility that you might discover it today as we go through God's word. The issue of be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect is an example. We are to be, we are, our lives are to be, are to follow the example of our God. Secondly, we are to love our God with all our mind, soul, body, strength. So, what is the example of our God? John 3:16: for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Who is our God? Our God's a giving God. At this Christmas time, we think about the giving of of the Savior. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul was referring to the giving of, of Christ when he said, Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. I went down a list of verses in the scriptures that talk about the giving nature of our God. Listen to some of them. In Romans 8.32, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. In Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sins. Galatians 2.20, who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 5.2, as Christ loved us and gave himself up. 2 Thessalonians 2:16 and by his grace gave us eternal life. 1 Timothy 2:6 who gave himself as a ransom. Titus 2:14 who gave himself for us to redeem us. 1 John 3:24 we know it by the spirit he gave us. And we could go on and on and on. Our God is a giving God. And we are called to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We are to follow His example and to be giving generous people. So, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And you say, I'm so glad, Rick, that you phrased it that way, because I'm not rich. So I can shut it down right now, and I don't have to listen to anything more you say this morning. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Because that's not me. Are you materially rich? Consider this. If your net worth is $770,000, you are in the top 1% of the whole world. Now, I know some of you, as soon as you heard that number, you're like, oh, no, that's not me. Wait a minute. The average house in the GTA, if you actually presently own it, puts you in the top 1% of the entire world. If your net worth, you say, well, I got a mortgage, Rick, so... I'm out of there wait a second listen if your net worth is hundred and twenty three thousand one hundred forty one so if you got some you got some equity in that thing you're in the top ten percent of the world one hundred and twenty three thousand dollars Canadian puts you in the top ten percent of the world I know Ramon's down there doing, like, he's got graphs going already. He's going to be sending me PowerPoints after this service with, with, with all kinds of things going on. I got some more for you, Ramon. You might want to jot this down. If your wage is one hundred fifty-six thousand dollars you are in the top 10% of wage earners in North America. I know these are big numbers still, but are we starting to... Understand when we're talking about rich, we are the rich of this world. So, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? If you're wiggling around in your seat right now, how hard, let me ask you the next question how hard is it for you to tithe to the Lord? Next question, what, is tithing required of me? First of all, to ask that question in your mind is already a defeat. You are the rich. I am part of the rich of this whole world. Isn't that a law thing? Am I supposed to? I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to show you why I actually believe it is right to at least tithe. I'm going to give you a quick, quick rundown of the, the scriptures. In Genesis 14, 20, before the law was given, Abraham meets Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High. And what is the first thing that he does? He gives him a tenth of all that he has. Before the law, the principle of God's people meeting the priest of the Most High was to give a tithe. In Romans 8, 2-4, uh, just summarizing that text, uh, Pastor, when I was a teenager, Pastor John Lamont wrote this, No man can know what it is to be spirit-filled, without fulfilling the righteousness of the law. In Malachi 3, 6, real close to Matthew, but a big span in time. In Malachi 3, 6, the Lord makes this declaration about himself. I, the Lord, do not change. And then in verse 8, he says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. In Matthew 19, Mark 10, Luke 18, Jesus confronts the rich young man. And what do you think he was confronting him about? He was confronting him about the continuing complaint that God had toward his people for their stinginess. For the fact that they were robbing God. Here he's saying, I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, I've done the other thing. But there's one thing you're lacking. You continue as the people of God have always continued to rob me, God says. Holding back what God has determined is required to accomplish his planned ministry to the world. It's God's economy. It's God's economics. It's God's budget plan that tithes and offerings start at 10%. It's the cost of being blessed and to be called a delightful land. We're wringing our hands in our country. We're we're writing on Facebook, oh, our our, our country's going to hell in a handbasket. No one's looking at Canada and calling us a delightful land. Listen, The delightful land has to start at Calvary. When Calvary is the delightful land, then it moves out into the whole land. Are we robbing God? How can you know that you are a steward and not a robber? By the way, Christianity isn't about changing to be good. I know all kinds of people who don't know Jesus who are good. You know all kinds of people who don't know Jesus who are good. Christianity isn't about being good. Christianity is about exchanging gods. Exchanging me for Jesus. Denying myself that I might worship the living Christ. He then makes me good. He then changes my life. He then enables me to become perfect as the heavenly father is perfect. The God-devised system to teach us self-denial and to know where God is in the pecking order of your life is your wallet. John Piper nicely said this, what money is to us shows us what God is to us. That's what the Bible teaches. And God says, test me in this. This is the only place in the Bible... The only thing in the Bible, the only behavior in the Bible where God invites us to actually test him. He says, go ahead. I dare you. Give as I've, I've, I've called you to give. Do it. Test me. See if it won't be a blessing to you. Go ahead. I, I know there's testimony upon testimony. We could stop the service right now. And we could, we could have the rest of the time and go overflow with you standing to your feet and telling us of the blessings that God has bestowed upon you because of your generosity. Because God is a generous God, and he wants to train us to be generous people. He doesn't need our money. He, needs, uh, he wants us to change. He wants us to be more like him. He wants us to be givers because he has given so much to us he's held back nothing from us for me discipleship whatever else we may think about it is determining to do whatever is necessary to make and keep the lord jesus as the core passion of my life that's discipleship to me it's to do whatever it's to give up whatever it's to go wherever it's to be whatever To continue to see a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. To be the core issue, the core fiber of my life. I hope it is for you as well. And I want to just quickly now give you the the text this morning. I, I want to point out four things very quickly that are critical that Jesus lays out for us in this quest. To be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. verse 19 of Matthew 6 do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also the eye is the lamp of the body See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink? Or or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of God, beloved. So it's, it's frankly stunning to me that God here delivers commands to us. And he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He could just drop commands on our lap and say, just do it. But he graciously explains to us why these commands are given to us. This is the utmost in grace. And, and here they are. First is this. Beloved, if, if you if you are serious about your stewardship, if you are serious about your discipleship, pay attention to this text. First, you must settle your treasure. You must. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is. You have to settle your treasure. Don't make stuff on earth your treasure. Whatever you do, don't. The temptation for Christians, particularly in Our culture right here, the temptation of Christians is to try and invest in both. We try to invest in God and we try to invest in this world. Jesus is saying to us, this is a bad idea. Attempting to invest in two treasures puts your very heart at risk. Because you will like the stuff in this world too much. And it will start to take over your heart. And it doesn't do it all at once. It does it bit by bit. The more you treasure the things of this world, the easier it will be to desert God. The more you treasure the things of this world, gradually it will pull you away from the Lord. Gradually, the things of this world will start to pull you away from Sundays. Once you used to come every Sunday and then suddenly the things that you have and the, the possessions that you own are occupying you on, on, a, on a Sunday once a month. And then they start to occupy you on a Sunday twice a month and on and on it goes. The things of this world as you treasure them start to pull you away slowly from God. If it pulled you away all of a sudden you would, re- you would recognize it. You would say, what's happened here? Something's but you don't because it's very slow. It starts to work on your heart. And Jesus is saying to us here, why would you be so risky with the resources I have given to you anyway? If you're investing in the things of this earth, do you not realize this is where moss and rust destroy and they're, stole, they're stolen, they're ruined, they wear out? You lose interest in them? You, you all know, you know, you like you buy that flashy new car. It's exciting for like a week. Then your wife gets in the car, spills coffee on the rug, and it's like, I used to like this thing. Now I've lost interest in it. The only reason I say your wife, I'm not trying to be like mean to the ladies here because I don't drink coffee. The only one who can spill coffee in my car, (laughs) I'm just going to say it's not me. (laughs) You you lose interest in it. All this stuff is temporary. God says this is a very bad investment. And by the way, as I read this, Jesus is saying I'm not going to protect your stuff. I'm not protecting your stuff. I'm not protecting it from moth. I'm not protecting it from rust. (laughs) Don't our cars know that? I am not protecting it from, from thieves. I'm not protecting your stuff. The stuff that you treasure that is taking your heart away from me, I am not protecting. I will protect the stuff that you invest in heaven. second look at verses 22 and 23 this is a kind of a couple of hard verses look wide-eyed at the things of God until they are your treasure looking longingly at the things of this earth pulls a curtain of darkness over your heart you see what this says here in fact verse 23 um, I, I had to stop in my study this week as I was studying this, and pause for a long time and ask my own heart, am I this? Could I be this? But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You know what he's saying here? If your eyes are coveting the wrong things, looking at the wrong things, and you think you're all right, you might be living in the worst possible scenario. You might be living in darkness and not even recognize it. This is the great danger of material things. They steal your interest and your passion And you may be gazing at them long enough so that you begin to justify and you're thinking things are all right when really your heart is dark and you don't even recognize the darkness. And Jesus says, how awful is that darkness? I'm serious. It really, really knocked me out. It was like, oh Lord, please, please open my eyes if that's who I am. The things of the earth play tricks on your mind. If the light you think you have is really darkness, how terribly tragic is that delusion? You see, sometimes we think because we have so much, God is really blessing me. That's what the rich young man thought, God's really blessing me. Our riches might not be because we're being blessed. Our riches might be putting us in the darkness. And we don't even recognize it. How dark is that? See good eyes, the difference here is the good eyes versus evil eyes. Good eyes see the things of God as treasures. Do you see God opportunities? Do you see them as investments? Do you look to opportunities and see if that's a great opportunity for me to invest? That's a God thing I need to get in on. Those are good eyes. Evil eyes are squinty and stingy and, and envious and greedy and suspicious and, and, and deceitful. You, you can convince yourselves, you know, that, oh, that great purchase I made, I'm, I'm going to invest that in the, the, the great things of God. That's why I went and got that. And it's pretty soon it's not really all about that. It never was going to be about that. Explain away the script, scriptures and biblical expo, ex, expectations. Third, verse 24, no one can serve two masters Fantastic. If you are trying to juggle God and your money, you cannot be Jesus' disciple. Not maybe it's possible, you cannot. If you are trying to juggle God and your money, you cannot be Jesus' disciple. Christ requires of his disciples total worship. How do I know that? The word here is not... Translated serve best. It is doulos, which means slave. No one can be a slave of two masters. You say, well, I don't really like that word. No, I know the translators don't like it either, but that's the word. The idea here is God will not share you, and money will not share you with God. That's how it works. You see, you might be able to work for two people. They might be willing to share. Yeah, I'll take you part-time. I'll take you part-time. But masters and slaves never share. No master ever shares his slave. And the picture here is God is not willing to share you with money. That's what this means. Dramatically put before us here. The futile effort to serve two masters. Your actions always have to take sides. You will either love the one, hate the other, or be devoted to the one or despised to the other. You can't juggle this thing. I know in the West we try to, but you can't. Slave means total devotion, ownership, loyalty. You can't be a slave to two masters. You have to decide who you love. And God puts himself up against your money. He really does. He he lays it out here. I'm putting myself up against your money. Remember I said Christianity is not about being good. It's about exchanging gods. Me for Jesus. Money is a God. It messes with your will. And this is not merely a discipleship challenge. This is an idolatry issue. That's what God is talking about here. You're either the property of God or you are the property of material things. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that it is easy for material things to make you a slave. Mammon here, the translator here has translated mammon into money. But mammon actually means wealth or property or riches the master takes control determines your time your commitments which master is deciding on your spiritual involvement your investments your opportunities one of those masters is deciding on all of those things how you're going to spend your time how you're going to spend your money how you're going to offer your talents there was a farmer who uh, his cow gave birth to a couple of cows one was red one was white he said to his wife we're going to give one of these cows to the Lord. I said, that's great. Which one? He said, well, we'll decide later. Months later, he comes home with a big frown on his face. He says, what, what's the problem? He says, I'm sorry to tell you, God's cow died. <laughs> she said, I thought we hadn't decided which, which cow was God. Which, which cow was God's. And she said, He said, yeah, it was the red one, and the red one died. That's how we act with God. God, juggling God, juggling our money. The more money we have, the more money we need to service, the more we have. It starts to replace God by becoming your trust. We don't need anything. We don't need God. And if that happens, worry starts to set in. Because we're not trusting in God, we're trusting in the things we have. And that's this whole next section. And and I'll just make a final statement about this. If if you become, if you and I become a slave to God and not our money, we can say goodbye to worrying about our money from this point forward. That's the blessing that Jesus offers us here. Isn't that what he says? Why would you worry about all this stuff? If you store up treasures in heaven, if your eyes are wide open to the way God things are, if you've chosen a life of God worship, I have good news for you, Jesus says. You now get to relax and not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving and be freed to give yourself. Do you realize that, that if we don't get this right, our quality of life is at a lower level than a bird or a lily? I mean, do you want to live lower than a bird? Do you want to live lower than a flower? Because birds and flowers don't worry. They don't worry about what they have to wear. We don't, they don't worry about what's hanging on their body. They don't have to worry about food. Because God knows we need, and he provides for us. Now, this is not endorsing laziness or indulgence or carelessness. This is about vigorous discipleship stewardship, having God's stuff in heaven, investing in spiritual things. Seek first his kingdom, he says here, and his righteousness, and the things will be added. So you're saying to me right now, Pastor, look, do you have a word for us about our things? Yeah, the text has a word for you about your things. Is there any role for a thing? Yes. Right stewardship, giving to the Lord, a tithe, offering, right stewardship puts you in a place of blessing of God, and He gives you what you need, and He expects you to value and treasure what He gives you and entrusts to you. The things that you have should be looked after. Should be taken care of. They belong to the Lord. Everything belongs to the Lord. They are byproducts of seeking the kingdom of God first. Investing in Him. For me, uh, you know, I don't want to go home to my house and look around. Or look in the driveway of my house and see stolen property there. What are you talking about? If I have in my house and in my driveway things that have kept me from giving generously 10% and beyond to the Lord, then I have stolen property on my property. You've robbed God. I don't want to look around. And I'm I'm urging you, I'm urging you on the basis of what I see in the Scriptures here. I, I I try not to hold back from you. I would downsize to get to a place where I didn't have stolen property. That's what Jesus was saying to the rich young man. You go sell your stolen property. That's what he's saying to him. Go sell your stolen property and give it away. And then you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Come and be a disciple then. so i close with this this is the are your treasures in heaven checkbox not mine so i don't have to take the blame for this this is from your book your bonus section of your book there are three check that each one of us must deal with this morning You are either robbing God, check, must honestly admit that I have withheld giving a tithe. Two, you are ready to trust God. Maybe you've been robbing God, but you want to see that change. I'm ready to trust God. I'm ready to tithe in faith and watch God provide. Or the third box is I'm trusting God. I'm living on the stretch in trust and have watched God come through. Now, every one of us is somewhere in those three possibilities. Maybe you're two of them. Ignoring this, ignoring this exercise, ignoring this application, ignoring this responsibility will not change the truth about your life. This is an opportunity for you to have the Lord search your heart. A challenge to make changes where changes are not. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's not a suggestion. It's a command of those who are positionally perfect in Christ, who are disciples of Christ already. We're talking about your heart's condition. For me, hesitations in your yes, Lord attitude are alarms that should be ringing loudly. We're not talking about just a temporary time of generosity toward the Lord's work. We are talking about your ultimate eternal destiny. Because if your treasure is here and not there, there's every possibility that you won't be there when the end comes. One thing you lack You're robbing me, God said. I wonder, I wonder how many of us are robbing the Lord. Our Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts and our lives to the seriousness of your teaching and the offer that you have given to us to test you in these things. And I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters here. True disciples. True disciples that have been lacking in one thing. They've been robbing you. I pray, O oh God, that from this day forward, there will be no stolen property in their possessions any longer. That we might be a blessed people. That the city might call us a delightful land, this church, a delightful land that it might fan out over this country that so desperately needs transformation. I pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.